Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. On this episode, we have our friend Matt Clapp from the comeback and awful announcing, who is here to just talk about the crazy uh, first two weeks of the Cubs season. And I mean, basically, say a Suzuki. Because, I mean, what else are you going to talk about? The guy is unbelievable so far to start the year, and I mean, he takes up a lot of our discussion, but then we move on to the rest of the Cubs, and an offense that's been pretty good so far, and pitching staff that's been, well, not so much, but there is time to turn that around. Anyway, we um just talk a lot about various Cubs performances. Uh, we move on to the league in general, and we get into a pretty big discussion about Joe Madden, because Joe Madden just, he grabs attention. He's always doing something bizarre, and then we kind of get into a discussion of the 2003 versus 2016 Cubs. It's fun. So, I mean, I think you'll enjoy it, and I, I would like to remind everyone before I uh, end this, I'd, I'd still like you to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. And if you could leave a rating and a review, that would really help me. I just, I'd like to know who's listening and any changes you want to make. And honestly, I just want to know how many people listen. So, you know, that would help me. But anyway, without much further ado... We will go to the interview with Matt, and it's a lot of fun. All right, Matt, welcome back to Holy Cow, a Seiya Suzuki, I mean, a Cubs podcast. <laughs> Obviously, I usually um, start these out by, you know, getting into the Cubs, like how you think they're doing, but we got to talk about Seiya Suzuki because, oh, yeah. I mean, before the season, everyone was like, you know, He's going to have some adjustments. It's not going to be that easy for him. You know, he'll, but, you know, he'll come around and he should have a decent year. But this start is just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, I think even the Cubs, like Jed Hoyer and company, are probably like a little bit to really surprise just because, like, you, you think you might know the player and you study his tendencies and so much scouting and everything with what he did in Japan and, just digging in all of his data and everything, but you don't really ever know until you see them in action in the major leagues. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a different league. You don't know how comfortable they're going to be. It's moving across the world. You know, like there's just so many little things that go into that. You just don't have any like great idea how it's going to look until it's out there happening. And for him to be like statistically uh, like literally the best hitter in baseball in some categories, like especially in terms of plate discipline and walking and, um, like all the stat cast data, he's like top five percentile and like everything. I mean, it's not just the numbers too. It's the eye test. Like he's just, he, he doesn't swing at anything. That's just barely out of the zone. 
Um, like he has to drive pitchers crazy like that. He he's making contact on just about everything. Like he hasn't shown a real clear hole and it's just insane how calm and comfortable he looks for a guy that's just entering this league, you know? Yeah. You know, I know, you know, about the, um, the projections for guys and his projections were pretty high and people are going, I wonder if they're, is this just like a thing with the computers that's based on just the Japanese numbers, but you know, everyone thought, well, he couldn't be that good, but maybe the projections were right. Yeah. Like I, I was tweeting about that when I think like fan graphs, one of the projection systems had him being like a top 15 to 20 hitter in baseball this year. And I was kind of like jokingly saying, well, that, you know, that would be, that would be pretty great, you know, but you have no idea if anything like that could actually happen without seeing him out there. And so far those projections are looking uh, pretty dang correct, I think so far. And, you know, I think one thing too, is that plate discipline and like chase rate and all of these, uh, all of these plate dis- discipline stats, those things can usually translate because, you know, the strike zone is the strike zone and, your approach can generally stay the same no matter where you're playing. Like that's a big thing with minor leaguers. If a guy walks a lot, maybe he won't walk as much in the major leagues, but he's probably still going to keep a really strong approach and walk quite a bit when he gets to the majors. So I think he had a lot of things going for him where maybe the, the computers saw all that and were like, well, if he's doing all that over there, he must be doing uh, he should be able to do pretty well over here too. Yes. And, but yeah, it's just, it's been a very, you know, I don't think, I don't know if I really thought the Cubs would really be in on him, you know, just based on their other free agent moves lately. But it was a pleasant surprise that, yeah, they actually did make a big push and got this guy who's turning out, I know it's early, but turning out to be a real skill. Yeah, absolutely. I think in his case, uh, his age at 27 really matched whatever they want to do. Like if they're already trying to compete this year and next year and two years or whatever, like uh, he's a player that was viewed in his prime and with a lot of good baseball left. So in their eyes, he just kind of fit the kind of player that they're trying to acquire right now. Um, at the same time, I think <laughs> I was talking about this with a couple of people. Uh, let's say he became a free agent today. I think he'd be already be getting, he'd already be getting a lot more money than he did in that deal. Like, uh, I think some teams were just maybe a little, you just, again, you just don't know. So, and plus there's like a $15 million posting fee to acquire those players. So like the Cubs ended up spending like roughly a hundred million dollars and it's hard to want to spend more than that unless you know a lot more about the player. But I mean, right now he's looking like a total bargain and a half, like the best off season signing in baseball right now, you know, at that value. And that's the thing is like Kosuke Fukudome was 31 too. This is a very different situation where you're getting, hopefully a lot more of the prime years of this kind of player. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and Fukudome, I mean, he started out very well, but nothing like mm-hmm. this. Right, right. Yeah, this is another level. I mean, uh, like usually a lot of those guys at least have some strikeout issues or be susceptible to breaking balls or velocity. And right now he's not showing any of those holes and he's laying off the junk that they try to throw him outside anyways. Yeah. So I guess we'll move on from Saya, but uh, the rest of the team, the offense has been much more consistent. I actually wrote about this, about they're um, without all the home runs, they're more contact, getting more guys on base. 
driving mm-hmm. it that way, and they've been a lot more consistent offensively. And I just wonder, is it? Do you think it's sustainable or? Well, I mean, it's probably going to depend on some things. I mean, they're, they'll, they'll have to hit for more power over the full season than they, they have so far. But um, I think one thing that is definitely pretty legitimate, legitimate in my opinion, is that their offense now is built to have a better chance versus certain profiles of pitchers. Like, I think the, the Brewers series showed it perfectly. I, I don't think the last few years they would have had nearly as much success against Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta and anybody the Brewers were throwing out there. Those are like elite, you know, as good as it gets kind of pitching. And they were grinding at bats and putting the ball in play and getting on base. And I think that's the thing is this lineup is going to, they'll be able to hit any kind of pitcher, give you a chance versus any kind of pitcher. Like they'll put the ball in play. They'll take their walks. Um, Do they have like the same upside as, Blank offense, I don't know. I mean, they're like I said, they'll have to hit for more power, and they're going to have to have to stop, you know, hitting into so many double plays. That's part of the contact thing, you know, too. Um, like they'll they'll have to get better in some areas, but like I think if Suzuki's like half as good as he's been playing, that's that's a star, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it'll depend probably on a few of the other guys. Like, what exactly are you getting in Ian Happ? Uh, what exactly are you getting in Frank Schwindel? You know, is is mm-hmm. he like a is he like a 750 OPS hitter or is he like the star kind of hitter he was last year? Uh, is Patrick wisdom, what's he going to be? Is he going to be like last year? I mean, we've already seen the streakiness of him. He was yeah. like the worst hitter in the league and he's been like the best hitter in the league in the last week, you know? Yeah, so it, it's there's a lot of that. That um, last year, basically the first uh, two weeks of the season were basically his last year, mm-hmm. you know, where the first half of the year he was tearing the cover off the ball and then, the second half of the year, he did nothing. Then this right. year started out, he was doing absolutely nothing and now tearing the cover off the ball. So, Yeah, and I, I'm honestly surprised by this recent surge because, I mean, there was like a 300-plus plate appearance sample going back to like last summer of him being not that great. So I thought maybe he was falling off for the league and figured him out. And now he's been crushing the ball in the last week. So... I think he might just be one of those kind of streaky mashers. And um, the one thing is with him, like we were talking about how much contact they're hit, hitting for and maybe a little less power. Uh, you can afford a, a hitter like him in the lineup. You know, when you got Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner and all these guys that are constantly putting the ball in play, you can live with uh, wisdom strikeouts and kind of all or nothing power because like his ability to hit a home run really does help this offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess um, we can touch a little bit on Wilson Contreras, who mm-hmm. has been, I mean, I think this is random, but the stuff with the um, him with men on base, I don't get why he struggled so much early in the year with that. Yeah, I've tweeted about that too, how I, I don't know if it's still accurate, but like as of at some point during um, game two against the Rays, he had had like one hit on the season with runners in base, runners on base, four double plays, like six strikeouts. Like it's not going to keep up like that, but it's definitely really hurt them so far because he's come up in a lot of big spots, batting you know third or fourth in the lineup, uh, and especially with you know when like Seiya Suzuki's getting on base all the time now that he's batting, you know second or third in the lineup, you, you're going to need to cash in on those opportunities to get more. 
So, yeah, I think it's a little, I, it's not going to be this bad, I think. But I will say that he has like, he has pressed a little bit, I think, with runners on base and runners in scoring position and get uh, a bit in the past where I think he maybe gets a little bit out of his element or he just tries too hard. You know, it's yeah. um, those are pressure situations and you can get in your own head or try to do too much. But he'll probably calm down a bit as the season goes on. And, you know, he'll probably have his usual like 800 OPS, a lot of a lot of walks, good slugging numbers before the year's over. But I will say that if those issues were to continue, um, I think he's even an option to lead off some because he's at least going to get on base and stuff. Yeah. And if he's not hitting as well with runners on base, what does it matter if he's just like batting first and getting on base ahead of your guys that are hitting the ball? So, yeah. Yeah, though. That, yeah, because, you know, and everything with the, you know, it's his contract year and the, the trade rumors and you just wonder if he's, yeah, trying to do too much. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's got to be really hard. Uh, those rumors have been going on for a while and he's like the last core guy left. So all the focus is on him with all that. And they didn't get the extension done and he's been vocal about everything there. So, yeah, I mean, that cloud's going to be hanging over and that these are human beings. So naturally that's probably going to add some pressure to him. And he wants to make a lot of money wherever he's playing next, whether it's the Cubs or somewhere else. And every at bat factors into that, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been pretty impressed with the lineup, but then of course the issue that um, everyone like before the season, I thought would be the Achilles heel and it has been so far, Um, but not as bad maybe as I thought, but, the uh, starting pitching mm-hmm. and and um as we're talking right now as we're recording um Roman <laughs> yeah. is uh having a rough one yes his defense hasn't been helping him out too much either Jonathan VR I thought probably should have knocked down two plays already but Strowman's getting hit around a bit and that is the thing with him is he's not he's not a big strikeout guy he, he's a lot like kind of the Hendrick style that we've seen in the past where they're depending on ground balls and soft contact, but they're not going to blow guys away too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Marcus Stroman's track record, though, is I would need to see like 10 more starts like this where I'm before I'm freaking out, you know, like I, I just uh, I, I believe in the track record of that player. And he had he did have his best strikeout rates ever last year, at least, even though not like amazing. Um, he has been getting some more whiffs. So I, I think Mark Marcus Stroman will probably be fine. Um, I don't really know aside from that, like Wade Miley, when is he going to be back? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big one. And he's honestly been one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball the last three or four years. Like that, that's a guy that usually has a sub four ERA and it's the same thing we're talking about though. He's a, he's a contact oriented guy on soft contact ground balls. Uh, so there's not room, much, much room for error, but it's just like most of Kyle Hendricks career. It's, it's, it's worked. So um, they really need him back. Uh, and then, I mean, depth wise, they're without Alec Mills and Azalai and uh, I mean, even like Steven Brault and some of these depth guys where, you know, they're forced two weeks into the season to have to start Mark Leiter Jr. at Coors Field. Like that guy would be like probably uh, like 10th on their starting pitcher depth chart, ideally entering the season. You know what I mean? So um, they've been put into some rough spots. But it's definitely going to be an Achilles heel um, and something they're going to have to overcome. I think Justin Steele has shown a lot of good. um, Mm -hmm. But then last night's game, 
you know, he started losing his command in the third inning and the velocity with that. And yeah, it was that's like gonna be, go ahead. Sorry. It was like he hit a wall. I don't know to be tired or what. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's a huge hurdle for him to try to overcome. That's the whole thing is we don't, you know, he's getting the starting opportunity now and he should because I think that's really important in this season is you want to try to find out everything you have in guys like that. And you can always go back to the bullpen. So you know that he can go to the bullpen and probably thrive. But if he can be a starting pitcher for you and an effective one, that's so valuable, you know, so you need to give him chances. But I think every start so far, you've started to see his velocity go down a little bit, you know, three to four or five innings in um, and his command wavers a bit. Like that's the whole thing. Can you, can you be a, can you be like a four or five, six inning guy um, that can maintain the velocity and maintain the command? Cause it's a lot. It's really hard. That's what's, that's what separates so many of those starter reliever guys is it's hard to maintain your effectiveness going deep into games. And, that's why anybody that can give you innings is valuable, even like Alec Mills, even if they're not particularly yeah. great, you know? Yeah, just um, so sure. exactly. So I don't know. Um, I, we're going to, we're not going to be able to evaluate yeah. him for a long while. I think. Yeah. I was going to so, ask, would you give um, Keegan Thompson a start? Would you like yeah, him? He, go ahead. Would you like him better just in the role he's in now? So with him, I think it was the same kind of thing when he's gotten chances to start in the past where you see the stuff diminishing a little bit. And the thing is, though, you don't know until they're like getting into shape to be doing that a lot. Like it's hard to just if you just threw him out there now, it would be hard for him to probably go more than four or five innings because he, he hasn't been conditioning for that. Um, but I mean, same thing, though, I think it's totally worth finding that out because you want to you want to enter 2023. You're trying to compete for the playoffs hopefully and everything you want to know uh what you have in these guys instead of sitting here asking these questions we're asking right now you want to have more definitive answers in in clear roles uh because i mean the guy's been going out there and throwing two to four innings of great ball so far so i mean who's to say he can't throw another inning or two maybe he can it's you want to find that out so i would absolutely be fine trying that um i do think that his stuff plays up a bit though in the bullpen and like max effort where his stuff is probably a lot more effective at like 93 to 97. Um, and with that nasty breaking ball, then it might be if you're asking him to take a little bit off for five innings, but again, maybe it's still pretty good and I'm fine with finding that out. So yeah, cause right now they don't really have many long-term answers there. They have a lot of possibilities, but you know, going into 22, 23, 24, I mean, you're basically saying you have Marcus Stroman and then what else, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, it's just, and I don't know, maybe they should go for this Tampa Bay Ray approach to mm-hmm. throwing guys out there for three innings at a time. I, I'm more, I'm like totally for them doing that more. And I honestly wish they had been doing that the last couple of years rather than choosing to start to start the Mark Leiter types. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. They've thrown they the last few years they usually just go to some clear quad A kind of pitcher that's probably not going to do very well. Um, and sometimes that's because the bullpen's out of gas. Like the bullpen's already had to throw too much, and that's what you worry about. But I'd much rather just like try to have an opener like the Rays do and just ask Keegan Thompson types to throw two innings as well as you can over maybe starting some rando. You know, I feel that might give you a better chance to win. So that is the thing though, too, is that I think as the game keeps evolving like that, these Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, 
Adbert Azale types, they're going to have value to your team um, more than they would have like 10 to 15 years ago, even no matter how this goes, I think. So I think if you just keep piling up arms like that, yeah, maybe you can do that approach more. Yeah. So, I mean, and you think about it though, I do wonder, sometimes we discount the lockout and the shortened spring training and just the havoc it's um, wreaking on pitchers and getting up to speed and getting up to like, you know, stretched out. And I think it's really messed with the whole league. Oh, absolutely. Like so much of this stuff is about rhythm, both in terms of, I mean, mechanically, it's such a huge thing and facing live hitters and real game conditions. I mean, I know sim games and all this stuff they're constantly throwing or bullpens, but you can't simulate live action, you know, and high pressure situations and throwing max effort, breaking balls or digging back for a little bit more on your fastball. Like that's stuff that you can only have happen in real games. And so obviously that's going to just that break and just, the mess with scheduling that can all make a really big deal for some of these guys. And I mean, that's the thing we might not see a few of these pitchers might have much better velocity three months from now, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So um, you're absolutely right that that can totally mess with a lot. Yeah. So I was, um, thought I'd ask you anything that you've noticed about the Cubs that I haven't really brought up yet that you found interesting so far. I don't know. You've, you've already hit on most of the things. I, I will say uh, Nico Horner's defense at shortstop has looked better than I expected. Um, like, I think he always had kind of an underrated arm, uh, but he's made some just crazy throws so far and showed off some really good range where, like, I wasn't sure if he could be a long-term guy there. And I don't know if that's still the best thing because he's an elite defensive second baseman too. And maybe he can play all over the yard. I don't know, but. Um, he's definitely looked more, more capable than I expected at shortstop. And that's a premium position. So that's potentially a big deal to the point where I don't even know if they would have bothered with the Andrelton Simmons signing. Had they seen all this, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a meaningful thing that is probably under the radar, but, uh, I think Ian Happ's right-handed hitting has been a nice thing too. It's a small sample, but he was so bad there last year and he looks capable that way. So that would be big if he could be another bat to play versus left-handed pitching. Um, I think that you're going to need to start seeing more from Rafael Ortega versus righties because that's his only use. Yes. And he had a 900 OPS versus them last year. So I, I was driving even that you want to find out what you have thing. just let him go out there and play and, so you're not beating yourself up if he's doing the same thing for some other team next year, you know? Um, but I mean, without looking, I feel like he's hitting like 100 and, yeah. uh, and they've been batting him lead off a lot. So they're giving him the most played appearances to do that too. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah. So he's going to have to start hitting, I think, or you're going to have a tough decision to make mm-hmm. sooner than later, or at least, at least less in the playing time. Yeah, um, and I think you probably want to start seeing more like Clint Frazier too. Just see what that guy can do because that's that's an upsidey dude that can really hit the ball hard yeah. and can hit the ball through the wind in these tough conditions and stuff. Yeah, that was the so, guy I was expecting to get more playing time. The way yeah. in training. Yes. Bit. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, he really hits the ball hard, and he's he has a track record of being a very good hitter before. So I would like to find that out. Like he's still young. 
Um, like I said, I think this year needs to be used to find out as much as you can as guys like that because yeah. on guys like that because he could really be a stud hitter. And if he's not, like, oh, well, you, yeah. it was a low-risk move and you move on to the next guy. So, uh, and that's, I'm also annoyed, by the way, speaking of all that, that Alfonso Rivas got, had to get sent down. Um, I know, I didn't like that. Because, I mean, that guy needs to be getting played appearances on this team, in my opinion. Uh, and that's and, where I think the, the Jason Hayward thing kind of blocks and stuff, but yeah. that's a whole other conversation. So. And also, I mean, I don't want to, like, you know, with Hermosillo, because he's like, but he had, he's not gotten a hit yet, and eventually mm-hmm. you might, you know, it might be time to, you know, give Clint Frazier the chances and maybe send him to AAA, but I feel bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, like I think Hermosillo, he's another guy with some upside and skill, but you got to start seeing it soon, you know? You got to start seeing the results where they're, they're in this roster crunch and it's just hard to keep carrying a guy like that. I mean, if he's not showing a bit more eventually. So that's a tough call, but again, I would still like to see what he could do over like another hundred plate appearances, ideally. Yes. Yeah. And um, it looks like Ortega is batting 190 at the game. Mm-hmm. One. And I would think that would be almost exclusively against righties. Yes. Had a couple of bats against lefties, but. Yes. And I will say that I do like that David Ross has been very aggressive in polling um, like Ortega or Hayward when a, like a left-hander comes into the game. That is what the DH allows more for, too. You got some more flexibility with these bigger rosters and everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he, he can't just be decent versus them. He needs to be very good versus them to justify seeing what you got in some of the younger players, et cetera, in my opinion. Yeah. So I guess I'll ask you a little bit about what are your, some of your thoughts about um, the rest of the league? If there's anything that's been really interesting. Um, it's just so early. It's hard to say. Uh, I will say that the Reds are – I was confused by, by the projections like the Reds, like as much as the Cubs, even as of a couple of days ago. I, I just don't really see it with that team, honestly. Um, I mean, especially while – India's out a few days and Luis, Luis Castillo has been hurt, but uh, that team seems pretty bad to me where I think I, especially if they sell off, like I could see them trading Luis Castillo and uh, Tyler Malley, you know, before the trade deadline, uh, especially with how much they've already gutted their roster to begin with. I think that you might just end up seeing them continue to do that versus going in between. Um, yeah. And in that case, I don't know if they're better than the Pirates, for example. Yeah. Uh, and I will say watching some of these supposed teams that the Cubs are supposed to be compared to, or I feel like the Cubs look like a level above some of the really bad teams, at least. No matter where the Cubs end up this year, uh, they're just competing every night. Maybe not this game that we have on right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but uh, they just, they, they at least, even if they're not, if they don't end up being good, which hopefully they are, but you know, I, I think that they're at least a level above some of the bad out there. Uh, Cause there's some really bad out there. Yeah. There's some teams that are just really like, like putting down the flag and giving up. So. Yeah. I mean the, the Orioles, Reds and Diamondbacks, uh, those, 
that love those level of teams look pretty rough to me. Um, the Pirates won't be good either, but I I think they might actually have at least a little more talent than they might not be as like pathetic as you usually picture them. You know what I mean? Uh, or maybe they're on the upswing at least. And I think another team that um, I heard like sneaky, sneaky, very bad is um, the Nationals. No, I don't mm-hmm. know true, but I have um, a couple of friends that are Nationals fans and they were saying like, they were here in chatter, like it's going to be one of their worst teams in D.C., so. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically Juan Soto, and uh, then you struggle to think of anybody else on the team. Like, it's just um, another situation that's been gutted, and um, I, I hope for them that they don't waste too many of Juan Soto's prime years. You know what I mean? Uh, that guy is a top-five hitter in baseball and maybe in the last – 20 to 30 years you know what i mean so yeah. it's kind of like what you see out with the angels that's another thing we can talk about too like are the angels ever <laughs> the angels ever yeah, going to win with make the like trout and shohei otani like uh, they're like wasting like the two of like the greatest ta- talents in baseball history you, know? you, you hear about like they talk about the cubs with like um ernie banks that he never got to the mm-hmm. but this is every bit as bad right as honestly right because in 1950s you, you only had you'd win your league and that's it. So, right. Yeah, I mean, like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani the last – I mean, Shohei Otani last year and then Mike Trout always. That's giving you like a like a 8 to 11 win head start, you know, just having one of those guys. Uh, and to not fill out enough around them is just – like I know the Angels have spent a lot of money, but they're spending money and they're doing those things wisely. That's yeah. a big gap and. If you ever want to, yeah. you know, what everyone says that you should spend money, which I should, but if you ever want a cautionary tale for spending, just look at the angels, the misspending. The oh, thing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, like, we've all gotten frustrated about the Cubs ways the last few years, but you also don't want them just throwing money at anybody either, right? You want them still to be, so you don't, you don't want to have a, a, another Hayward contract on your hands when you're trying to win for sure in the next couple of years, you know what I mean? So that's what made so much sense about uh, so much sense about Suzuki though, is that felt like a player that was a pretty safe bet, even if he wasn't half as good as he's showing now and at his age and everything. So, yeah. And um, since we brought up the angels, I have to ask because Joe Madden intentional walk bases loaded when you're down a run in the fourth inning, what was that? Uh, I mean, like I'll always love Joe just from the World Series run and all that. Uh, but we we know that he has a bit of an ego, you know, and he has his he has his ways where you're just like, come on, man. Uh, that just felt like a like Joe trying to be the show kind of move. I, I just uh, when you got like Mike Trout looking at you, like, are you serious, man? And even Corey Seager's like, is this happening? And, yeah. Uh, <sighs> That's just—it's just not a good idea. To—it's not a good idea to walk in runs on purpose. So, to, it, yeah, I—I I, I do not think that there's any um, really great percentage argument for that one personally. It's like almost like a way just to get attention. I don't know. Right, that's that's what it feels like to me. And he—he he did say something like that. I saw though that was like it read almost like a light a fire under their butt kind of quote like. This will get them to, I, I don't know. I just, 
Yeah. <sighs> I just worry that he's going to make that a little bit too much about him. Yeah. Um, so he's going to light fire the team up by doing something insanely dumb. So they'll all yeah. be mad at him. I did. Yeah. Two weeks into the season, you know, I just, I don't really support that one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny with Joe that like, yeah, I still like him too, but then it's like, there would be decisions that would be like, mm, you know what I mean? Uh, right. Yeah. He, that is the thing is he gets a bit too cute um, and he overthinks these things. And I mean, we even saw it in the, in the playoffs a little bit. Uh, some of it was maybe a little bit overrated or exaggerated the complaints, but sometimes he just kind of has to go a little bit unorthodox and, when it's really not asking for it, you know, like it's definitely him going a bit overboard to kind of, yeah. it's just how he is, you know? Exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, um, what do I want to say? It's like, I think with all managers, but at first, when you first bring them in, it's like, there's the things that you like usually stand out. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I like this. I like that. And then as you, they keep, you know, year after year, the more you see them, then the the flaws start coming out. And even if it's like a legendary manager, by the end, you're like, mm, I think I'm done with this guy. Yeah, I think it's everybody gets a little bit sick of so-and-so after a while. And um, I mean, I think that's what even Theo Epstein talked about. He's talked about many times about like he always quotes like Bill Walsh or whatever and being in a job for longer than 10 years and how everybody just kind of things get stale or um, he just needs some new life sometimes. And, but yeah, I will say that I feel like Joe has gotten, I don't know. I feel like just his percentage decisions have gotten like a little bit worse over time, but maybe it just feels that way. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's not true. And you just kind of start, you kind of start noticing things more probably, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. Like it seemed like every call he made, like in 2015, and through most of 2016 was like great. And it was like at the in the playoffs, they started getting a little shaky in 2016. And then then it was like the next couple of years was like kind of a steady downhill. But that's what it feel felt like anyway. Right. And I think a big thing with him is um I honestly think he's best off like in a rebuilding situation or with younger players or kind of being that like mentor let them i think honestly the, the the best thing i think he ever did was he let javi Baez be javi like he he would talk about that too like while everybody else would be like I'm not, i don't trust this kid and his strikeouts or i don't this and this and this like joe stuck by him and let him be him like he encouraged javi to not change who he is and how he plays and saw the value mm-hmm. in javi's game um so i do think he's really really good with that stuff i don't know if he's the guy to be leading mike trout and shohei otani at this stage no. you know what i mean no those, those guys know what they're doing and <laughs> just let them go out there and yeah well that's a, i tried to get um a hot take going the other day that didn't work that um which i actually <laughs> think that dusty baker was a better manager than joe madden and no one answered but i really think it's true that's a fine argument. Like I think Dusty's done some really questionable things too. And he especially would uh, let pitchers throw away too many pitches back in the day. But I think he's, 
I don't know if the data supports this, but it feels like he's adjusted there a bit. Um, and he's definitely a great players guy. And that's, you know, we watch the game. I, I, I complain about what David Ross or so-and-so does all the time. Yes. Um, but, you know, in the big picture, the big, the big thing is, uh, do the players buy into what you're saying? And are you a good leader? There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we'll just never know. You know what I mean? And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the big thing too is adjusting. Like, uh, like with David Ross, I will say that while he makes some questionable lineup decisions and bullpen stuff early on, I think he has shown the last two years that he usually adjusts and comes around to how you would expect it to be after, you know, three, four weeks, maybe a little bit longer. Like, um, so he's not that stubborn. We'll at least figure it out. And yeah, I mean, Dusty is one of the best in game manager or like players managers ever for sure. Well, you know, my whole um, argument, no one actually, believe it or not, no one engaged on the argument, I guess. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> controversial as I thought, but um, my whole argument was like the team, like the 2003 Cubs were not actually that good of a team. Mm-hmm. They were like kind of, they were like, they won 88 games. It's not like yeah, they, to get where they got was actually amazing and well, they also lost Corey Patterson for the season in the summer, and I thought he was their best player for that first half of the year. So yeah, they were they were not. I mean, they added Kenny Lofton and yeah, Ramos, right? So that helped. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, they had flaws for sure. And Sammy was on the downswing at that point, you know. Yeah, and you know the 2016 that was a loaded team. I mean, mm-hmm. not that Joe Batten didn't do a good job with it, but it's just that team would have been good for pretty much anyone. Oh yeah. A robot would have led them to probably the best second in baseball. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from a Joe D either, but you're right. That was, that was one of the best teams uh, you could really have. I mean, especially with, I mean, imagine if they had had good Jason Hayward too. I, know. Um, I mean, that was the best defense statistically like ever. Yes. Um, that was the, the key to the whole team, in my opinion. And Joe deserves credit for, probably a lot of that stuff but yeah i mean a lot of it was just great players doing great things too yeah and that the 2003 team that was just their bullpen was so shaky that mm-hmm. it's almost like they had to pitch like prior and wood till they dropped and was I, joe borowski the closer i'm trying to think yeah joe borowski yeah and like um but they're like a mike rumlinger oh yeah 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 that wasn't it wasn't David Weathers that was a couple years before. But it was not Bob, Bob Harry was somewhere in there. I don't remember if it was that yeah, team think, or sometime around then. Later. I know there's like a Kent Merker. I'm trying to think of all. It was not. It wasn't good. Yeah. Kind of like the starters had to go. I mean, it's the fact that Joe Borowski saved like 40 games it just blows my mind because like yeah his, oh they had kyle farnsworth too oh okay <laughs> like um joe borowski's signature pitch was just a hanging slider yeah just hanging sliders on the outside corner yeah and it worked i guess mm-hmm but yeah, uh, I that 2016 team was just 
ridiculous for sure. And it's, I mean, the Dodgers teams in the last few years are probably pretty close to that, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but it'll be hard to have a, I, I hope we have another Cubs team or anything like that, but that one was just yeah. totally special. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll wrap it up and you can promote your stuff. Okay. My Cubs Twitter account is the blog finds and I'm an editor and writer at the comeback and awful announcing and pretty much it. I also got a personal Twitter account, Bear's Twitter account. You go to my blog finds bio and you can find all that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now, of course, now that we're recording this, uh, Sam Suzuki has struck out twice. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we jinxed him. I guess we were due for one of those. So yeah, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, it's baseball and he's going to start seeing some new pitches and stuff. And like this last one, he just struck out looking on a full count. He looked like he probably just got fooled. It was a breaking ball in the zone. And, um, I mean, even his strikeouts, he rarely looks like bad. It's more of like a deep count and takes one looking or a lot of those close ones are going to end up walks too. So you just live with it, you know? Yep. All right. Well, on that note, I will thank you for coming on my podcast and thank you very much for having me. Yep. As you said, Matt can be found at the blog finds on Twitter. I'm FTH85. You can email the podcast at holycowpod at gmail.com. You can just tweet at me, too, if you have any questions or comments. And, yeah, we're going to be covering everything this year. And hopefully it's a good year. It started out slightly better than expectations but we'll see how things go and i'll be here the whole time with some interesting interviews and just everything cubs and as always i say go cubs